Welcome to Lumber Talks, the official podcast of the National Lumber and Building Material Dealers Association. I'm your host, Kevin McKenney, Director of Government Affairs for NLBMDA. Our goal with this podcast is to provide you with a mixture of content and analysis of the issues impacting the LBM industry, along with some engaging interviews of industry leaders, experts, and analysts that will provide unique perspectives on the industry today. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to Lumber Talks through iTunes or Stitcher, available in the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us online through the NLBMDA website. On today's episode, we'll cover the latest legislative and regulatory updates affecting the industry. Later, we'll speak with Bob Dietz, Chief Economist for the National Association of Home Builders, on the economic outlook for 2020. So stay with us. Recently, Congress and President Trump finalized ratification of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, which now replaces NAFTA. NLBMDA was one of the trade organizations in D.C. advocating for the agreement, specifically the dispute resolution panels. These are mechanisms that allow a USMCA participating country to appeal the decisions made by the government of another that has a negative effect. A good example of this is the softwood lumber dispute between the U.S. and Canada, where the U.S. Department of Commerce has levied countervailing and anti-dumping duties on Canadian softwood lumber imports. NLBMDA's priorities were included in the final USMCA and is a win for the industry. The House of Representatives recently passed H.R. 2474, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, or PRO Act, by a largely party-line vote of 224 to 194. Among other provisions, the legislation would make it easier for workers to unionize, change how employers classify workers, roll back state right-to-work laws, and block laws that allow workers to avoid paying union dues. The legislation is not expected to be taken up in the Senate this year. NLBMDA was part of an industry coalition urging lawmakers in the House to consider the negative effects of this legislation. We'll provide more updates should any of the political dynamics change. The 2020 Spring Meeting and Legislative Conference is right around the corner. NLBMDA recently finalized the issues that members will bring to Capitol Hill and discuss with lawmakers in the House and Senate. This year, members will focus on the OSHA crane rule, specifically issues with the material delivery exemption and a problematic letter of interpretation. Members will be asking their elected officials to sign a congressional letter urging the agency to take action to repeal the letter of interpretation and adhere to the plain meaning of the crane rule. In addition, NLBMDA members will be advocating in favor of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act. The bill would make several changes to the low-income housing tax credit, including strengthening it and spur new affordable housing construction. NLBMDA members will be equipped with issue briefs and talking points to share with their elected officials on these issues. The Legislative Conference will take place March 23rd through 25th at the Weston City Center in Washington, D.C. In addition to Capitol Hill visits, you'll get to hear from political experts, federal regulators, and members of Congress, along with enjoying a beverage on the balcony of the historic House Agriculture Committee Room overlooking the Capitol Building. You won't want to miss this great event. Visit our website at www.dealer.org for more information including registration and hotel information. Welcome. Today we are joined by Dr. Robert Dietz, the Chief Economist and Senior Vice President for the National Association of Home Builders. 
where his responsibilities include housing market and analysts, economic forecasting and industry surveys, and housing policy research. Bob, thank you for joining us today. It's uh, good to be here. I think you've been with NHB for about 15 years now, is that right? That's right, uh, 15 years and uh, four years as a chief economist. And before NHB, where were you again? So before I joined the uh, Trade Association, I spent a few years on Capitol Hill doing uh, budget analysis for the uh, uh, U.S. Congress, which uh, was as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> well, we are excited to have you join us and share your insights into the housing market. So let's just jump right in. 2019 was a strong and active year for the housing market. Can you share your summary of how the year went and perhaps some of the key trends and takeaways from this past year? Yeah, the, the housing market actually ended 2019 in a pretty good place. And I think the, the big key to the year was the fact that it didn't start that way. Uh, if you think back to the end of 2018, we were facing a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage that was approaching 5%, uh, which if you think in decades past, a 5% mortgage interest rate doesn't sound that bad. Well, it was enough to pull back uh, 10 to 20% of housing demand. So at the end of 2018, at the start of 2019, we had real weakness in existing home sales that was posting year-over-year -year declines. Uh, we had weakness in single-family starts and single-family permits. And then thanks to the fact that the Federal Reserve moved from a really hawkish position on monetary policy where they were projecting that they were going to raise rates four times in 2019, adding 100 basis points in interest rates, they pulled back. And that pullback meant that mortgage interest rates came and, and dipped below 4%. So we ended the year with single-family construction up uh, uh, just under 2%. And multifamily construction itself also posted a gain. So it wasn't just the fact that those interest rates were lower, but household formation went up. If there was any kind of weakness in the housing market, and we still don't have the final data on this, there might have been a little bit of softness on the remodeling side that was connected to some of those declines in existing home sales. Excellent. Well, thank you for your insight in 2019, but let's focus on 2020. How do you see the housing market playing out this year, and are there any early indicators thus far that might provide us uh, with some insights on how things might play out? Well, so going into 2020, I think we have to recognize that those lower interest rates are really providing a lot of momentum on the housing demand side. Uh, lower interest rates, of course, are also good for small businesses and whatever part of the supply chain of the residential construction industry that they may lie, whether it's building materials, remodeling, single-family starts. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, bullish indicators. And the, the numbers that I kind of walked away with from our recent trade show in Las Vegas was the fact that the unemployment rate and the mortgage interest rate are both below 4% for the first time in American economic history. And that's a really striking set of bullish indicators for housing demand. So for the year, we're looking at about a 3 to 4% gain in single-family construction, raising us up to about a 920,000 uh, total for single-family construction. We, we need about 1 to 1.1 million, so we're still underbuilding, but we're continuing along that growth curve. We think apartment construction will be relatively flat, just somewhat under 400,000. 
And we think the remodeling market is going to gain a couple of percent of growth as existing home sales begin to reaccelerate due to those lower mortgage interest rates. Thank you. And you mentioned the mortgage interest rates have fallen. Uh, they actually have fallen to their lowest level in three months. Do you see that trend continuing? And what do you think the Fed might do uh, moving on with interest rates that might have an impact on the housing industry as a whole? Well, with respect to the Fed, a lot of people believe that the Fed is on pause for 2020, meaning they, they won't raise rates, they won't lower rates. In NHB's forecast, we've had in our model one rate cut for 2020. And we thought that rate cut was going to come in the second half of the year due to the fact that we have a slowing economic growth projection, which means we think we might see some job market reports that are fairly weak. Now, that doesn't mean every single month, but uh, a couple of uh, bad job market reports, maybe two or three over the course of the year, would probably be sufficient for the Fed to reduce rates one more time by 25 basis points, which would essentially take away the last Fed rate hike that they implemented in 2018. So what does that mean then for uh, mortgage interest rates? It means that we have in our forecast not much growth in terms of overall rates. And in fact, they've actually come down in recent weeks due to concerns of uh, the virus in China or ongoing trade concerns. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, we think uh, mortgage interest rates are going to trend higher over the next two years, but a very, very slow pace. So the the rate that we saw at the end of 2018 when mortgage interest rates were near 5%, we're unlikely to test that high anytime soon, and therefore that's, uh, that's pretty good for housing demand. So with the unemployment rate so low, the Fed lowering interest rates, and the combination of mortgage rates being so low, are you seeing any trends with first-time home buyers and low-income families entering the market as a result? We are. And in fact, if you look at some of the most recent home ownership rate data, the, the national home ownership rate is, is near 65%, uh, which is really positive compared to where it was, say, three or four years ago. A lot of the gains in national home ownership are coming from younger households, uh, particularly millennials. So the lower mortgage interest rates are offsetting some of the long-term uh, issues with housing affordability, and, and those remain in place. Things like policy challenges on zoning rules and the ongoing skilled labor shortage. But those lower mortgage interest rates combined with the fact that wage growth has stepped up over the last year or two thanks to tax reform where we're seeing incomes rising at 3% on a year-over-year -year basis, those things are bringing out some additional housing demand from those potential younger home buyers. And so we should be seeing the share of new construction uh, in terms of single-family homes that are sold reach about 30% to first-time home buyers. Uh, in years past, it's been below 20%, so that, that share is rising. And you see it in the kinds of homes being built as well. Uh, for the last three or four years, we've actually seen declines in median new home size. That trend is likely to continue over the next year, maybe year and a half, and then we'll see that level off as the market reaches a, a new normal. Housing affordability is, of course, a major challenge in so many regions and communities. Do you see any relief coming to them as a result of the trends? 
There are some positive trends on housing affordability. Now, I think the thing to keep in mind is that for the last 10 years, uh, despite some of the changes in interest rates, that the long-run trend in housing affordability has been one of decline. But if we're looking for some bright spots, uh, you know, you can look at things like changes in zoning rules that were made in Minneapolis or Oregon, where you could build uh, with more density, and whether that means apartments or it means for sale townhouses or for sale single family homes but on smaller lots those are ways that we can uh, kind of move the needle in the right direction on housing affordability there's also some hints and I, i'm not going to try to call this necessarily but there's some hints that maybe we're making some progress on the skilled labor shortage in the construction industry uh, some of the recent data that I tend to track on a monthly basis has shown that you know, maybe the skilled labor shortage isn't necessarily getting better, but it stopped getting worse. And that could mark the end of the beginning. Uh, and it could also indicate the, some dividends uh, for all the efforts that everyone in the industry uh, has uh, undertaken over the last two, three, four years to really bring focus and some light uh, to the fact that the skilled labor shortage is another reason uh, that we face housing affordability constraints. And because of mortgage rates and a lot more people jumping into the housing market right now, are there any concerns with banks overextending themselves? I know I get some questions about are, are we headed back to where we were 11 years ago or so um, that caused the downturn? When I look at credit data right now, I really do not see any issues on the household side. Um, if you're looking at mortgage debt in terms of the amount of money that ordinary Americans spend on principal and interest with mortgages, it's well below norms that were in place in the year 2000, uh, which most analysts kind of agree is a, a normal uh, housing market. Uh, so there's not a lot of uh, overspending on housing. Um, credit card debt, which is usually a, a, a pretty good leading indicator of, uh, of credit issues, is actually in pretty good shape as compared to national income. Uh, the two areas where debt issues might be a concern, um, and uh, you know, the one has, has been in place for a while, which is student loans. Uh, student loan debt continues to rise. We're at a, a $1.6 trillion. It is a headwind to getting some of those younger households to become uh, home buyers. And the other one that maybe doesn't get as much attention, uh, but is still a, a headwind to qualifying for a mortgage, uh, and it's certainly increased in recent years, is auto loans. Uh, particularly if you think about like a seven-year loan, uh, no money down, uh, a car purchase made by a younger household, we have been watching those rise. Now, on the other side of the economy, outside households, you do have rising corporate debt, and we now have a trillion dollar a year uh, government budget deficit. And so those two, corporate debt and the federal government deficit, those are worth watching because those are warning signs. I don't think they're issues in the near term, uh, but certainly over the next two to three years, they're, they're worth watching. And lastly, do you foresee a slowdown in 2020 or 2021 or beyond? And if so, what impact may it have on the housing industry? So the, our macro forecast in NHBs remained fairly constant since 2017. Uh, 
we, we thought 2018 would be the peak year of growth, that uh, GDP growth came near 3%. Uh, we thought 2019 would see a bit of a slowdown from that rate, and it did. It declined to about a 2.3% a growth rate, but still growing at a solid pace. And then we looked at our forecast for 2020 and 2021, and we see growth slowing even further with growth coming a little bit below 2%. But the key thing there is the fact that uh, we don't have a recession on the table. We just have a slowing growth pattern. And overall, the economy is on, on pretty stable footing. So if we were to have a recession sometime in the next two to three years, uh, the one thing that I think we can know would happen would interest rates would go down, and that would tend to stimulate the housing market. We, we saw that uh, in early 2019. Uh, but overall, we, we've got solid growth going forward. Um, it's not going to be spectacular growth, but uh, it should be uh, good for housing demand with a combination of ongoing positive growth and low mortgage interest rates. And outside of the housing industry, is there a particular industry that might be a cause for concern? Yeah, I mean, if, when we look at some of the weakness connected to trade issues, the one sector that has shown persistent weakness over the last year or two is the manufacturing sector. And in fact, uh, something my team here at NHB uh, recently created, something called the Home Building Geography Index, which was a way of looking at the economic geography of single-family construction and apartment construction. And one of the weakest areas, and we kind of divide up the counties in the United States into various kinds of boxes. Uh, one of the boxes were counties that had a lot of activity concentrated in the manufacturing sector. And those counties uh, actually did not have particularly good performance on single-family construction over the last year or two. So we do watch manufacturing. Uh, we, we think it's, uh, it's not a, a, a large cause of concern, but it's certainly one of the weaker areas. Um, some movement on some of the trade issues would help. And the other area of the economy that's kind of similarly affected is agriculture. If you look at some local real estate markets that were weak in 2019, some of them were areas that depended on exports of agricultural goods. And when corn prices and soybean prices were down, in some cases as much as 50%, it does have an impact on housing demand in those local markets. Well, Bob, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Happy to join you. This is Jonathan Payne. Thank you again for tuning in to NLBMDA's public policy podcast, Lumber Talks. If you haven't already, don't forget to register for NLBMDA's spring meeting and legislative conference to be held from March 23rd to the 25th here in Washington, D.C. Thank you again and tune in next time. <music>